Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. Well, this weekend we are starting a brand new series we're calling Home, and it may surprise you that this has really nothing to do with our family. And the word home is an interesting word because it has the potential to stir up all kinds of emotions. And I think one of the reasons is because uh, to be honest with you, if, if you've been around other people, if you've done much counseling, giving much advice to life, you know that there's nothing more miserable than a home that's not functioning the way God intended the family to function, the home to function. Uh, when you describe it, you think of words like dissension and turmoil and strife and maybe anger, and maybe that describes your home, and you realize that when those kinds of words describe your home, you know what? Nothing seems to go right. But yet at the same time, there's nothing more rewarding than a home that is actually functioning the way God intended it to function. There's just absolutely nothing more than having a refuge to go to where you realize there's going to be love, there's gonna be happiness, there's gonna be peace, there's, there's gonna be joy. In fact, it seems that in spite of things like plumbing issues, a leaky roof, you know, COVID-19, maybe, maybe schooling online, if there's harmony at home, if there's this sense that we're all in it together, that we're all pulling in the same direction, you can pretty much survive anything. And you know what's interesting about homes? You can visit a home. Have you noticed this? You can visit a home and within just a few minutes, you can figure out which category it falls into. You can figure out, is this a home of, of chaos and stress and anxiety? Or is this a home represented by words like joy and happiness and peace? And my guess is we've all been in a home where, you know, the tension was so thick, you could cut it with a knife and maybe you were invited over for dinner. But what you're thinking is, I can't wait to get out of here. I had one of those recently. You you know what I'm talking about. Yet at the same time, we've all been in homes where almost from the minute we walked in the door, we just felt like, man, I belong here. There's no stress. There's no tension. There's no awkwardness. From the minute you walk in and sit down, you're, you're at ease. You know, I mean, if you want something out of the refrigerator, like I do, you may just go get it because you feel comfortable getting it right. If somebody's watching HTV, but you really want to watch the game on ESPN, you just get up and change it. Right. Then, you know, you're at home, right? It just feels like home. And when you're in a situation like that, there's this incredible sense of just joy, peace. I belong. You know, there's an old saying, it says the home is where the heart is. I would say home is where the joy is. And it may surprise you to know that's the way it's supposed to be in every area of our lives. We should, as Christians, be experiencing incredible joy. In fact, let me tell you something that often I think we forget as Christians. God wants us to enjoy life. God wants us to have a life where we feel like we're at home. We're in the sweet spot of what he created us to be and what he created us to do. And so in this series, I want to talk about how we can experience that sense of home, that sense of belonging, that ultimate sense of joy. Uh, I 
wanna talk about how we can experience it in our relationship with God. And then I wanna talk about next week how we can experience joy in every area of our life, regardless of our circumstances. In fact, I'm gonna give you three things that are gonna prevent you from having joy in every area of your life. And if you can deal with just those three things, I'm telling you, it can be life-changing. And then we're gonna wrap it up by talking about our relationships, how we can find joy in our relationships, even sometimes when our relationships are incredibly dysfunctional. But this weekend, I wanna begin by talking about three environments where we can enjoy our relationship with God in such a way that it just, it just feels right. It just feels like home. It just feels like it's the natural place to be. And I'm gonna hit these first two areas rather quickly, but then I'm gonna really focus in on that third area. So let me just give them to you. Here's the first one. You can enjoy God when you are all alone. When it's just one-on-one -on -one with you and God, you know what, you should feel like, man, I am at home. This is, this is where I feel comfortable. I am in my sweet spot, but let's be honest. Most of us, that's not how we would describe our one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. In fact, we would use words like, man, when it's me and God, I feel guilty, or I feel anxious, or I feel unworthy, or I feel, I feel judged. Or maybe I feel like it's just kind of a sense of formality. By the way, if you wanna know how formal someone's relationship is with God, uh, listen to them pray. If someone prays, Almighty God who sitteth on the realm of the universe, okay, you know that's a pretty formal relationship with God. I like to think when I lived in California, in Long Beach, California, and uh, I met a young guy, his name was John Burden. He had been a, he had been a ski instructor out in, in Park City, Utah, got into selling drugs for someone, then ripped off the guy, stole the money, and he came to Long Beach. And he was kind of running from these drug dealers and all. And of course, I meet him, and uh, I lead him into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's never been discipled, he's never been mentored, so every week I would, would meet with him and I would mentor him. And I'll never forget the first time I asked him to pray. He says, man, I've never prayed in my life. How do I pray? I said, well, you know, Paul says that when we pray to God in Romans 8, verse 15, it's like Abba Father, I mean, and literally means Daddy. You like just crawl up on his lap and talk to him. Just talk to him like you talk to me. And so he says, "Okay, I'll, give, I'll, I'll, I'll try." And so he bowed his head and he said, "God, this is John. Actually, Jonathan, William Burden. I live at 103 Elm Street in Rossmore." I'm like, "He's going to give him his social security number. God's going to check his background, right?" But anyway, there was this sense of formality. It shouldn't be like that in our relationship with God. We should feel in God's presence. We should feel comfort. We should feel peace. We should feel joy. We should feel like, oh, this is what home feels like. Now, I'm going to show you a verse that describes this, okay? And when I show you this verse, you're like, Mike's smoking something. This makes no sense whatsoever. But then I'm going to explain the context, and it's all going to come together, okay? This is from the life of Jacob. It's Genesis chapter 28, verse 16. It says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid, but think of it more as a, a fearful respect. It's the very same word that, that we read, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's not I'm afraid of God, it's, that it's, it's a reverence, it's a respect. So he had this fearful respect and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house or the word place of God. Look at this, this is the gate of heaven. So think about this, Jacob is completely alone. And while he is alone, he has an encounter with God. And when it's all said and done, he is like, this is so awesome. This is so incredible. I felt like I was at heaven's gate. I felt like Axel Rose. I felt like I was knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door, right? But before you can really appreciate the story, you have to understand what happened just before Jacob had this encounter with God. Because right before this happened, Jacob, by the way, his name in the Hebrew means supplanter. 
He was a tricky guy, right? He was a bait and switch kind of guy. Jacob stole his brother's birthright. Now that means absolutely nothing to us living in America today. But in the Jewish family, in the Jewish culture in the Old Testament, the birthright went to the firstborn son, the oldest son. So Jacob had an older brother, his name was Esau. And later on, you know, as Isaac, their father was getting old and he had lost his sight and I'm sure lost his hearing and he was near death. And Jacob disguised himself, went in pretending to be Esau and end up getting his brother's birthright. Well, you can imagine when Esau discovers because with the birthright came, by the way, the oldest son got twice as much inheritance as the younger son. So this is a big deal. And when Esau discovers this, when he feels, figures out what happens, obviously he, he's upset. But not only that, he is really, really angry. In fact, this is the conclusion he makes. I am going to freaking kill Jacob. Now, there's something that you need to know about Esau. When the Bible describes Esau, the Bible says that Esau was very skilled at tracking and killing wild animals. Now, I point that out because when you've upset someone, especially when you've ripped off their inheritance, and they're skilled in tracking and killing wild animals, that's gonna make you sit up and take notice, right? That's gonna make you a little nervous. You should feel a little uncomfortable. So it doesn't surprise us that Jacob decides to take a vacation. I mean, he splits town, and he literally is on the run from his older brother Esau for 14 years. Now, you'll have to read the rest of the story yourself. It's a great story. I'll just give you a little spoiler. It ends happily ever after, okay? There's a great reconciliation between these brothers. But I point this out because I often think that when we read the Bible that we think these people in the Bible were perfect. We think that these people were saints. You know, they never screwed up, they never did anything wrong. And so naturally we think, well, why wouldn't God want to meet with Jacob? Why wouldn't God want to meet with Moses? Why wouldn't God want to meet with Abraham? Why wouldn't God want to meet with David? Well, we just discovered that Jacob ripped off his brother's inheritance. We know that Moses murdered an Egyptian we know that Abraham lied about his wife, Sarah, and even was going to allow another man to sleep with her just to save his skin. And David committed an adulterous affair and murdered someone. And we're like, well, wait a second. These guys are like in the Bible Hall of Fame. These are our Old Testament studs, but my point is simply this. We think that God met with these heroes in the Bible because they were so perfect, they were so godly, they were so righteous, they had their act together, but God actually met with these heroes because they weren't perfect, and because they weren't godly, and because they weren't righteous, and because they didn't have their act together. My point is simply this, God met with them for one reason, and it's because God loves people. And do you know what God knows about people? God knows that people makes mistakes, and he loves nothing more than to come alongside and help them with their mistakes, to learn from their mistakes. Do you know what that means? That means if you've blown it big time, that means that if you are a huge screw up, you are a perfect candidate to meet with God. And God wants to meet with you. You can enjoy a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God even when you are at your worst. You can feel right at home. You can feel like you're in your sweet spot. No stress, no condemnation, no uneasiness, no rejection. You can crawl up on his lap after making the biggest snafu you've ever made in your life and sense the comfort, and sense the joy, and say, God, we just need to have a talk. And he welcomes it. So you can enjoy God when you're alone. Second, you can enjoy God 
in a crowd, which is great because I often refer to Hope Community Church as, you know, six flags over Jesus. You gotta get on shuttles, you gotta stand in line. Uh, I mean, it's just kind of crazy when we operate around here the way we typically operate. By the, and I was thinking as I was working this crowd thing, do you know how many buildings that Hope is met in? I actually made a list. We started out when we moved here from California, we moved into Brampton Moore's apartments over on Chatham, and we started out meeting in the clubhouse at the apartments, we called it Mikey's Clubhouse. We were so poor we couldn't even afford a church name. So we were just, we were just Mikey's Clubhouse. Then we moved to East Cary Middle School, and we stayed there for about two years until they decided to remodel the school, so they kicked us out. Well, then we moved to the fire trap on Chapel Hill Road, which was really three different addresses, and we moved into the one in the middle, and uh, we were about 100 people. And then the people in the back moved out, so we took that one over. And then they never could lease the front because who wants to share a building with a church? Hello, right, that's, that's terrible for business. So we ended up getting the entire building, but we outgrew that building, so we moved to the Raleigh, where the Raleigh campus is now, but we didn't have a building, so we met next door at Grace School for about three years. And then we built the Raleigh building, and we moved into this building. And then we outgrew this building. We outgrew Sundays, we outgrew Saturday nights, and we thought, now we gotta get rid of people. So we asked a bunch of people to go to Holly Springs High School and start a brand new campus. And then a little bit later, we sent some people out to West Salem Middle School to start another campus. And then the people that were in West Salem Middle School, we found a permanent home in Morrisville, so we sent them there. And then we took the people that were in Holly Springs and we built the new campus out in Apex. And then finally, we just launched our last campus last year in Garner High School. We've been in 10 different places. And I, I share that with you because I want you to understand something. Every time that we've moved, every time that God has opened a new campus, God has moved with us. And I wanna tell you this, COVID is going on, but I want you to know Hope Community Church is still going on too. I mean, we are right now actively looking for a permanent facility in Fuquay so we can launch a new campus. We're touring around with the idea because we don't know when Garner can get back in, our Garner campus can get back into the high school. And so we're thinking maybe, maybe this is God's way of saying we need to get Garner a permanent home. Not only that, God has just laid on my heart this passion that we start new churches in downtown Southeast Raleigh and in downtown Durham where I grew up because this is the way I believe that you restore and redeem and rebuild communities. It begins with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't know that any church is better than Hope Community Church. So Hope's gonna continue to move forward. But here's my point. Every time we move, every time we launch a new campus, God moves with us. And that means that when we're together in large gatherings, we can encounter God, we can enjoy God. Let me just show you a couple of verses that illustrate this. Psalm 68, verse 26. Praise God in the great congregation. Praise the Lord in the assembly of Israel. Here's another one, Revelation chapter seven, verse nine. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. But what I want you to notice in that verse is that there was a crowd. There was a multitude, but the Lamb, now who's the Lamb? Jesus is right in the middle of the crowd. My point is simply this. When we get together in large gatherings, I'm telling you what, we can enjoy an encounter with God. When we walk into one of our facilities on the weekend, it just feels like we are at home. In fact, do you know how I see the weekend services? I see them as pep rallies, as pep rallies. I'm telling you, it is getting harder and harder to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ in this world. But that's okay, that's why often the Bible, the Bible refers to us as Christians, strangers, pilgrims, 
You're just passing through. This isn't really your home. You know, we used to sing an old song when I was growing up. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through, right? Maybe, maybe you've heard that song. But the Bible teaches we're just wanderers. We're pilgrims. We're strangers in this land. And I'm telling you, if you've decided that you're going to live a Christian life that is built on biblical principles, trust me, you are in the minority in this culture. If you have a life built on absolutes, you're the odd man out. I can promise you that. And so we're trying to live in the world. We're, we're trying to be salt. We're trying to be light. We're trying to be the people that Christ wants us to be. And, but Jesus says, hey, don't be surprised. You're going to be persecuted. And there's going to be suffering if you carry my name. And often we get to the place where we're like, man, this is hard. I don't know if I can do it anymore. But then we show up on the weekend. And maybe through, it's through the music. Wasn't the musical inc incredible this weekend? Or maybe it's through something that is said. Yeah, they're back there in the green, but let them know. Something that was said, or maybe you ran into somebody you hadn't talked to in a while, or maybe it was just a hug or some attention that someone gave you. And all of a sudden, man, you feel all jacked up. And when it's all said, I mean, you came in beat down, but you walk out and you think, man, I can do this. I can do this. I can be a follower of Jesus Christ. I can walk the path that he has called me to because I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. See, that's what happens. I'm telling you some of the most powerful times that I have personally ever had with God is when we've been together like this at a weekend service and God just shows up and his presence is overwhelming and you just sense the awesomeness of God. I'm telling you, you can enjoy your relationship one-on-one -on -one with God, but you can enjoy him in a crowd. Here's the third one and it's where I wanna focus. You can enjoy God with a few. Now let me just say, Chase, just crushed it last week. And he just did a phenomenal job helping us understand this biblical concept of community and why it's so important in our lives. It's important to us in the small groups, but I wanna focus on why it's so important to us as individuals, just for a few minutes as I wrap this up. There's a verse in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, you've probably heard it. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So if you're in your small group, God is there. If there's a few of you who are believers and you're having dinner together, God is there. It could be a Zoom call, God is there. But wherever you're with a few, you can enjoy an encounter with God. If there's three or four, this verse says there's really four or five, okay? If there's seven or eight, this verse says there's really eight or nine because Jesus is right there with you. And let me show you an interesting verse that illustrates this kind of community. It's Acts chapter two, verse 46. This is the early church, remember? It, it sprang into existence in Acts chapter two after Peter shared the gospel on some street corner in Jerusalem and 3,000 people converted from Judaism to Christianity that day. So we have this new church in, in, in Jerusalem and it says in Acts chapter two, verse 46, every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's their large gatherings. They broke bread in their homes. That's their small gatherings. That's the few. And they ate together, I love this, with glad and sincere hearts. In other words, there was a sense of joy. There was like, we are in our sweet spot. This is home. This is what we were created for. And I've told you before, even with the shutdown of COVID, um, I apologize, but I'm just not the kind of person who can sit in my house by myself. I mean, I love my wife, but even she starts looking at me like, and I have to start hiding the knives after a while. You know what I'm saying? But... So we decided on the weekend services, we were just gonna have a few friends over every week and we were gonna still get together. And so, 
you know, on Sunday morning, sometimes they would come over for brunch and then we would watch the 1115 service. And some Saturdays they would come over at 415 and we would watch the service and maybe we would barbecue some steaks or do something like that. But we were spending some time, and I'm telling you, I think it's what got us through those times of isolation was there were people around us who were encouraging us. And I'm telling you, it's in those kinds of gatherings when you're going through tough times, you really get to know one another. Which leads to this question I wanna focus on. Who knows who you really are? Who knows who you really are? I mean, God knows who you really are, so don't say God. But other than God, who knows who you really are? And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking not many people. Because if many people knew the real me, if many people knew what I was really like, they wouldn't like me. Well, I got a newsflash for you. They don't like you anyway. <laughs> Do you know why? Because they don't really know you. See, they like the image that you wanna project. They like the image that you allow them to see on social media. See, we have become masters of image management. You know, We make sure people see only what we want them to see. See, that's why couples, you know, they only post pictures standing on the beach with the sun setting, right? Or standing on the mountain, you know, and whatever it is, big smiles on their face. They don't post the night before when they were cussing at each other and spits flying out loud of their mouths. They don't do that, right? It's image management. That's why you post a picture of your kid holding their ribbon for coming in sixth place with their soccer team, right? Right? But you don't post, you know, the pot that you just found under their bed. Like, look what I found under my kid's bed. You don't do that. See, it's all about image management, right? So my point is, people don't, people don't like you because they don't really know if they know you. And if they knew you, maybe they would make that choice, but they don't really know. Now, this is what I know about every one of us, whether you're watching at home, whether you're in attendance. Every one of us want to be known for something. Every one of us want a legacy. We want to be known for something, but what we really need is to be known by someone. In fact, what we really need is to be known by a few people who can know us. I mean, warts and all. All of our screw-ups, all of our mistakes, all of our flaws. And even though they know those things about us, they still accept us and love us too much to leave us that way. See, that's why our mission here at Hope Community Church is love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And this may come as a real shock to you, but that's exactly what the local church is supposed to provide for people. That's exactly what the local church is supposed to provide for the community. It's supposed to be a place where broken people can show up and say, you know what, there is a gap between who people think I am and who I really am. And I don't wanna be two-faced anymore. I don't wanna be a hypocrite anymore. And so I'm gonna give you the opportunity to get to know me to get to accept the real me. By the way, let me just say, as Christians, we should be absolutely incredible at this. I mean, hey, listen, we've been forgiven, totally and unconditionally. We ought to be incredible forgivers, see? We've been accepted by God in spite of all of our junk. We ought to be awesome at accepting other people in spite of all their junk. As Christians, we've been given second, third, fourth, fourth, fifth, hundredth chances. We ought to be really, really good at giving other people second and third and fourth and fifth and hundredth chances. In fact, we should be a community of people that are known for an attitude that says, hey, listen, we don't care where you've been. We don't care what you've done. We don't care what kind of baggage you're bringing with you. Come on. And we're not gonna condemn you. We're not gonna judge you. We're just gonna love you where you are and we're gonna encourage you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. 
We don't care what kind of mess you've made of your life. We're gonna extend grace and mercy to you. Do you know why? Because God has extended grace and mercy to us. Now you need to understand, and we have to come back to, to the elementary principles every once in a while. As a church, that's what we're supposed to be. If there was ever a place where a couple ought to be able to open up and say, things in our marriage aren't as they appear, it should be the local church. If there was ever a place where a single adult ought to be able to say, there's a gap between who people think I am and who I really am, it should be the local church. In fact, not only that, when we learn those kinds of things about these people, their flaws, their baggage, their mistakes, their screw-ups, you know what our attitude should be? Not only do I not condemn you, I totally, 100% accept you. In fact, this is what I'm gonna do. I am going to work alongside you so that you can become everything that God created you to be. I'm gonna work alongside of you so you can begin to experience the abundant life that Jesus died on the cross to make possible. I'm gonna come alongside, I want you to experience the joy that God wants you to have in the relationship with him so you feel like it's home. I'm telling you, that is what the local church is going and supposed to be. But see, you gotta figure this out, you know? Who am I gonna do life with? If that's gonna be true in your life, you gotta figure that out. Who am I gonna do life with? Who is it in my life that can help me be everything that God designed me to be? And that's the job of the church. That's what God designed us to do. That's what he designed us to be. And let me just show you a few verses that talk about this that kind of show us the benefits of being in these kinds of relationships. You'll notice it says in chapter James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. Now, I've used this verse a million times, and I know what some of you are thinking when you hear that. I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm private. See, I keep my stuff to myself. I only confess to God. Well, let me just say, if that describes you, you will spend the rest of your life doing image management. You will spend the rest of your life looking over your shoulder, wondering when people are gonna find the real truth about you. James says, don't live your life that way. As a Christian, verse 16 of James chapter five, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, look at this, so that you may be healed. Now let's be honest, let's be honest. Every one of us, including me, every one of us, we have some stuff in our lives that we need to be healed of. So James says, listen, if, do you really wanna be healed? But then don't just tell God about it, tell someone in your life. And I know what your pushback is. Well, Mike, if I tell them, what are they gonna think of me? Well, they're gonna think you're human. They're gonna think you're honest. They're gonna think, yeah, you're a screw up just like they are. And then they're gonna pray for you. And maybe God will honor that prayer. See how verse 16 concludes? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So here's the question. Who knows you enough to pray specifically about the things that are causing the gap in your life between who you are and who you want to be? And I'm just telling you, if the answer to that question is no one, that's a problem. And you need to understand, you are never gonna be at home in your relationship with God because you don't have those people in your life that are holding you accountable and helping you get over whatever it is that you're struggling with. 
Let me show you another one, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us now consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. In other words, hey, let's just figure out how we can make people better. We can make each other better. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Now that's a great verse, but here's the problem. The only way that I can encourage you is to know what area in your life where you need to be encouraged. The only way that I can you know, spur you on to love and good deeds is to know where you're coming up short, where you're failing at, where you're blowing in this whole idea of doing a love and good deeds, see. I've gotta be involved in your life. You have to be involved in the lives of other people. Here's another one, Galatians chapter six, verse one. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. But here's the phrase I want you to see. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. By the way, when it says carry each other's burdens, it's as if you're looking across the street and your neighbor's pulling a wagon of bricks and he can barely get it moving and you run alongside and grab that burden or something, they're trying to carry something and they're getting ready to buckle on the weight and you go get um, up under that burden and you help them carry that burden. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ, by the way? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And when he talks about carrying each other's burdens, he's talking about sin burdens. He's talking about those gap burdens between who we are and who we really want to be. So here's the question, who's helping you carry the burden that's causing that gap between what you want to be known for and what you really are? Who's the person who really understands you and is praying for you every single day? Who's the person in your life that feels comfortable picking up their phone and calling you and asking you how you're doing? Who's there to encourage you when you're struggling, when you're weak? Because I'm telling you, you were never as a Christian meant to carry those burdens all by yourself. And if you are, if you are trying to carry the burdens all by yourself, I bet you're not carrying it very well or you would have already solved the problem. See, if you were carrying it very well, in a great way, you would have already closed that gap, but you haven't. Let me show you another one, Romans 15, verse seven. Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you. By the way, do you know why God accepts us the way we are? Because he accepts us totally and unconditionally. Do you know why? It's because God knows this, you will never influence anyone who doesn't feel accepted by you. Let me say that again. You will never influence or impact anyone in your life who doesn't feel accepted by you. Now, I'm not saying you have to condone what they're doing. You don't have to approve of their behavior, but I'm telling you, if you don't accept them where they are, you're just wasting your time. Oh, by the way, let me just add, this is why we should never feel condemned by God. He may not approve of our behavior. He may not condone what we're involved in, but you know what, regardless of what's going on, he will accept us where we are. Don't forget Romans chapter eight, verse one, therefore there is now, what, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But understand, that's how God accepts us, and now God wants us to extend that same kind of non-condemning acceptance to one another so that we can position ourselves in each other's life for influence. He wants us each to find people that we can trust with the junk, with the burdens that we're trying to carry through life so that they can help carry our burdens as well. Now this may sound like simple stuff, but I'm telling you, if you really process it and think about it, this is powerful stuff. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like to be known by a few people in your life 
who are never shocked when you share something with them. They never reject you. Would that change your life? I have a guy I meet with every week. We have lunch every week. He's my accountability partner. He's like a vault. I can tell him anything and it's gonna stay there. And often when I talk about things that are going in my life, not only is he not shocked, often his response is with a little quirky smile, I kind of assumed that was going on. But I've never felt rejected by him. Do you know how good that feels to talk to someone and them call you two or three times in the week and say, how are you doing? I've been praying for you. How's it going? I mean, would that change your life? But I want you to understand at Hope, we're committed to developing that kind of environment for every person. We call them small groups, and Chase talked about them last week. And I know what the pushback is. I know what some of you are thinking. I mean, this whole idea of joining a small group with just a bunch of people you don't know, from your perspective, it seems structured, it seems focused. And you're wondering, can I, can I really create relational intimacy through a program? Is that even possible? And I'm going to be honest with you, the answer, the, the answer is no. The answer is no. But this is what I do know. I really believe that God honors our attempts because we are trying as a church in leadership as hard as we can to connect people together in community. And as a result, we continue to hear story after story of strangers getting together in small groups, uh, some with fears, some with preconceived ideas, others, usually men, kicking and screaming. Right. And then after a year, this is what they say. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was the best decision as a Christian I ever made in my life. You know why? It's because they developed some of the best relationships that they've ever had in their life. And they now have an environment where they're able to be honest and they're able to be transparent about life, about marriage, about work, about their kids. Laura and I are very blessed. We have a few couples here at Hope Community Church that we've known for years and we travel on vacation together. You know, we've watched each other's kids grow up. We practically have dinner every week together. But one thing you learn later on in life that just because you're older and your parents, have, your kids are grown up, you never stop being a parent. And from one time or another, maybe all of us at the same time, our kids are going through something. And it's a safe place where we can talk about it and get advice and talk about boundaries and love on each other and encourage one another. And you get texts in the week, how's it going? I've been praying for you this week. I'm telling you, there's nothing like that. There's four of the guys that are on staff here in church, staff here at the church, they're in upper leadership and I meet with them every week and honestly, we don't even bring our Bible, we bring cigars. It's very spiritual, we have burnt offerings. <laughs> and we sit around on my screen porch, you know what we do? We talk about life, we talk about marriage, we talk about kids, we talk about jobs. I'll never forget one time we were talking about marriage counseling and I mentioned something about Laura and I going to marriage counseling years ago and one of the other ones said, yeah, I think we went for eight months and the other was like, really you? We were there at least a year, you know? And it was just so funny because we're just opening up, we're just being transparent. You, you need that. Listen, we have an elder board here at Hope Community Church and maybe you don't know how we're structured, but I'm one elder, I'm one of nine, okay? The rest of them are lay elders, they don't work here at Hope. I'm the only one that's on staff. I have one vote. That's all. I'm not a dictator. I don't lead a kingdom. Nine of us pray and seek God's heart together. So I'm just one of the nine. I just happen to be paid for what I do here at Hope. But our last elder meeting, all we did was go around and talk about 
what's going on in our lives as a result of COVID. Some of it's work-related, some of it's health-related, some of it's family-related. And I got to tell you, we were there for about four hours, and it was one of the most therapeutic times I've ever had in my life. So here's my question to you. I know who you're doing image management with, but seriously, who are you doing life with? I know what you want to be known for, that you got it all together, that you can handle this on your own, but who really knows you? Because I'm telling you, it is so extremely unhealthy to carry secrets. You know what, you know what secrets do? They just eat us from the inside out. And this is what's interesting. The thing that you're working so hard to keep a secret, guess what? Eventually, eventually it's gonna to come to the surface. It's called the law of diminishing returns. The more you get away with it, the odds go up that yeah, you're gonna get exposed, you're gonna be caught. And when it surfaces, think about it, it's gonna become public to a group of people, maybe at work, who don't know you, who don't love you, who don't care about you. So I would just ask you this, why not take the risk and just for a few weeks maybe, give the church a chance to be the church to you, see? Just for a few weeks, would you commit to an environment where you can maybe share your burden, share your secret, that unknown part of you, and then know that someone is gonna be praying for you and encouraging you and supporting you? Honestly, I started this church 26 years ago, but I will tell you from my heart, that's what I want us to be known for. We have a great reputation in the community, but I don't want to be known as the church that has great programs, great services, great music and worship. I don't want to be known as the church that has great children's programs and family ministries. I want to be known as the church. When people hear Hope Community Church, I want them to think, oh yeah, that is the church who will love anybody where they are. But they don't want you to just stay where you are. They, they want to come alongside of you and help you become everything that God created you to be. So they're going to encourage you to grow in the relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to be known as a church where people can just be real. Wouldn't that be refreshing? Don't you want to be a church where people can just be honest and authentic? I just want to be a church and be known as a church where people can experience church the way it was actually designed to be experienced. And at the end of the day, I want you to experience joy in your relationship with God like never ever before because you're finally making the decisions that are helping you become the person that God created you to be. I want you to get to the place in your relationship with God where you're like, it just feels right. It, it really feels like I'm in my sweet spot. Honestly, it just, it just feels like I'm home. I will tell you this based on experience because I am a pretty private person. You'll never get there without community. You'll never get there until you have someone to confess your sins to. You'll never get there until you have someone who can spur you on to love and good deeds because left to our own, most of us will take the, least, the, the, the path of least resistance. But that's not the life that God has called us to. So try it. Just try it. See what God does. And see if God doesn't really begin to change your life. 
Now, next week I'm going to talk about, and I think it's one of the most timely messages that I've ever shared, is how can we experience joy in the midst of our circumstances? Because as Christians, we haven't done a very good job. We haven't done a very good job. So I want to talk about that next week, and I'm going to tell you three things that will hinder you, that will choke the joy out of your life. And if you can deal with these three things, oh man, you're in for a joy ride. Father, you're awesome. We sing all these songs about you, and we worship you, and we talk about how we want to know you, and how we want to be known by you. Father, a big part of our Christian growth happens when we know other people and we're known by them. But for that to happen, Father, we have to get past the temptation to be judgmental, to draw conclusions. And we have to get to that point where we truly do accept people where they are. Because only when we get there can we begin to actually influence people. Father, I've discovered in my life by this loving people and accepting people who are so far from you, the doors that has opened for me to share the gospel. And Father, I can't make those decisions for them. But boy, they've heard and they know. And I believe that the seed never returns void. Father, build us into a church that matches our mission statement that whoever walks through our doors, whoever we come in contact with, we're not there to judge them. We didn't write this book, you wrote it. We're not in any position to judge anybody. But we're there to accept them. Not to condone, not to approve, but to accept them and see how you will use us to influence their lives. God, break down the walls and the barriers that allow us to be authentic and transparent so that our lives can be transformed. I know you're gonna do some amazing things. And for those who are right on the edge and they're still resistant, just give them the courage to take that step. And we're gonna give you the glory now for what you're gonna do. And we pray all these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ, amen. God bless you. Can't wait to see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.